want you to turn in your Bibles with me, whether they be digital or analog, to Psalm chapter 91. This is not, this is not in my notes, but I, I wanted to read this to you. Several of our senior saints have pointed this out. This is one of the passages that you can pray over yourself and over your family. It's actually one of the places that I go to. Um, my children have heard me say it enough at this point. This is how you know you're praying over your children the way that, that God is at least instructing you to. Or you're on your way in the right direction. When, you're, when your children begin to say what you are about to say before you finish saying it. Um, my, my children will, will finish this phrase for me out of Psalm chapter 91 verse 1. I will pray, Lord I pray that you charge your angels over us and that you protect us, the things that you've given us. God boost our immune system, Lord, and keep us healthy and safe. And then I will say, may we dwell in the presence of the Most High. The scripture reads, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Verse 2 says, I will say to the Lord, I will say to the Lord, my refuge, my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Would you pray with me as we go into the message this morning? Father, I just pray right now that you would give us all wisdom, faith, integrity, and honor all at the same time. God, I pray that we would hear from you today, that we would hear from your word, that we would overcome opinion, oppression, or anything else that doesn't come from you. Lord, I just rebuke any sickness or disease. And God, I pray that as you've protected us thus far, you would continue to do so. But God, that you would use even this to capture people's opinion, opinion and, and attention, God, and, and turn it back to you. Lord, that even the things that we desire and the things that we think would be representative of the way that you are and the character that you have. God, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. In Hebrews chapter 6, it's where we're going today. I just want to make this statement. Um, I, said this, I said this on Thursday morning in a, in a video. You can go back and look at that video from Thursday morning. Um, I said then, uh, we will do we will do what we are instructed um, by our government to do, uh, you know, outside of like specifically going against biblical authority and biblical absolutes. Uh, when our government makes recommendations, we will do our best to adhere to those things. And uh, so today we have several people who are joining us live online. Some of those people I, I actually even um, encouraged um, that if they were felt like they were at high risk in any way, if they had concern or if they had loved ones that were, I said, hey, listen, don't use this as an excuse to continue this way, but today give God your best online because his presence is not limited to a physical place. He is God and he can be all things at all times with anyone anywhere. So we believe that. We will continue to monitor um, the situation at hand, we will continue to pray, and as a church, I believe, I believe that uh, along with our leadership, our elders, our board members, our staff, pastors specifically, I believe that we can monitor, and as a church, I believe that, that we can be honorable um, and honest, and at the same time, not operate in any fear or overreact in any way. It is not our heart to downplay any legitimate concern. Um, it is also not our, our, our heart to engage and make people overly concerned. So we want to do all of those things. Um, I'm going to show you today by the end of the day, I believe, where, where I believe Jesus is in this whole thing. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, the Bible says, let us stop 
let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ. Let's stop going over the same thing over and over again. Let us go on. Let us go on instead. Stop making your pastor preach the same message because you keep living the same way. That's how I'm reading it. I don't know what you're reading it as, but by third service, that's the way I'm seeing it. And I'm just, don't, don't go over the basic teachings about Christ again and again, but let us go on instead and, and become mature in our understanding. Surely, I don't know if you read sarcasm out of this, but I, I hear a little bit. Maybe it's just because I read sarcasm out of life. It's like the unlisted spiritual gift that God gave me, but uh, it's going to be listed one of these days. Uh, I'm, I'm, no, it's not, but I'm working on it. Surely, surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds. Like, surely we don't have to keep going back there over and over again. What was sin still is. What fell short still falls short. Surely the things that I wasn't okay with in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus have not all of a sudden randomly, according to moral law, become okay in the 21st century. Surely I don't have to go back to that. I don't have to go back to that. I don't have to do that. No, we don't. we're going to do something else. We're going to place our faith. We're going to place our faith. In God. That's what we're going to do. He goes on. It's not in your notes. It's not on the screen. But in, in verse 2, he, he continues in this, I believe, kind of sense a little bit of sarcastic litany, if you will. Um, you don't need further instruction. You don't need further instruction. Man, we live. Um, did you know that there's about 50 churches within a five-mile radius? 50 churches within a five-mile radius. And how many people living for Jesus within that same five-mile radius? See, I, I don't believe that we live in a day and age where we need more instruction. We got a preacher on every corner, on every social media news feed, on YouTube. I mean, I didn't even know this many people had a live feed for their church. Until I started just roaming through the news feed this morning. I'm talking about everybody is live on their news feed this morning. Everybody, some of them shouldn't be because it's kind of scary looking. But, and it's fuzzy. And it looks like Sister Bertha's holding a phone on the front row. And she's jumping up and down. And the phone is moving with her praise. So I'm not saying I'm just some of like, I'm thankful God helped us be prepared because he knew it was coming. That was a side note. I didn't say any of that in the first two services. We get back on track here. I'm, we don't need further instruction. What we need is more obedience. Like you're hearing the word. You've got it in podcasts. You've got it in messages. You've got it available on your phone. We have more access to the word than we've ever had before through sermons and messages and, and popular preachers and not so popular preachers. Like instruction is not an issue. Obedience is the issue. It always has been. It probably always will be. What we need to do is add obedience to the instruction that we're already hearing. And I've heard this, man. I've even said this. I've been this way. And sometimes I have to fight off when I hear myself go into this place. Man, I'm doing what God told me to do. I'm, I'm, I'm obedient to his word. I'm faithful. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Are we? Are we really? Who are you right now discipling outside of the people that are stuck in your house because you gave birth to them? Who, is, who have you invited along in your journey that you are going, not just coming, but going therefore and making disciples? I'm pretty sure that was a command in there somewhere. Who are you baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Who are you praying one for another with? Now, we get all upset when the government starts, talking to, starts telling us that we can't meet. But we hadn't been praying with people that we've been meeting with anyway, so why are we surprised when it begins to be taken away? That wasn't in first or second service either. <laughs> what I'm saying is, We've got all these places where we're really not being fully obedient to God's word. 
all these areas and all of these issues, things that we could be doing that we're not. When's the last time? Look, I'm not asking you when is the last time you shared a five-point gospel presentation, walked somebody down the Romans road of Romans 323, 623, 8, 1, 9, 10, and 10, 13. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, when is the last time that you shared your faith in God through your story with God? When's just the last time you just had a conversation about Scripture around your table, in your home, on your way to work, while you were there? When is the last time that you went and did something for the poor in the name of Jesus? When is the last time that you took care of a widow's yard? Because her husband's no longer here. Are we as obedient as we're giving ourselves credit for? Or are we just giving ourselves credit for being more obedient than most of the other people that are being even more disobedient? Guys, listen, I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm sharing with you. God is challenging me. Verse 3 says, so... God willing, we're going to move forward. We're going to move forward to further understanding. Why? Because as long as you stay where you are, you will only see where you are. Until you move forward in Him, you will only see through yourself. But as you continue to follow Jesus... You will begin to be exposed to more that he has for you in understanding and in experience. And you will begin to think as he thinks. You will begin to see as he sees. And therefore, ultimately, you will begin to act as he acts. Why? Because you're not just with him. He's in you. As you follow him... You begin to understand things that you formerly didn't really understand and didn't make any sense. And so instead of just watching other people who seem to understand things that you don't understand and accomplish things in the Spirit of God that you're not accomplishing, you begin to actually operate in the anointing that God has, not just for the church or the preachers at the church, but for you as the church from the pulpit to the people, and from the people to more people. Let's move forward. The author of Hebrews was saying 2,000 years ago, it seems to still be applicable for us today. Verse 4 says, For it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come, Verse 6 says, and who then turn away? One version says, fall away. Who then turn away from God? It is impossible to bring back such people, bringing them back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They themselves are nailing Him to the cross once again and holding Him up to public shame. Now, this is a passage... um, That most of us, and by most of us, I mean people whose livelihood is dependent upon how you respond to what we say. Most of us leave this scripture alone. Um, Because this isn't like the build your church with inspiration scripture. This verse actually says, if they fall away, it is impossible. So what do we do with this? What do we do in our understanding with this passage that is obviously there? Well, it's in in your notes, unischurch.com slash notes, or on the back of your bulletin if you grabbed one. Um, We didn't hand it to you, but you could have still grabbed one. Uh, You can write these down if you didn't do either one of those. What do I do with this? Well, number one, you keep it in context. Keep it in context. You keep the scripture, these, these few verses, in the context of the passage in which they were written. And not just in the chapter of the book of Hebrews that we happen to be reading, but in the context of God's entire word. We keep it in context. Uh, Some people would call this, if you were to take this, this one verse and begin to just form doctrine on this one verse, then um, we would call this like proof texting. You would be proof texting to try to prove your point. 
taking it out of the context in which it was written. For instance, it says something is impossible. But we, we know for a fact it is also mentioned from the mouth of God that with men these things are impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So this passage doesn't deny what Jesus has already declared. It actually confirms it. That on your own, you're going to stay stuck. On your own, you're going you're to drift away and you're going to stay that way. But in God... Just as he gave Pharaoh multiple chances, and we could go really into the weeds here of Calvinism and Arminianism and, and predestination versus free will. Did he choose us? Did I choose him? How about we just open the lid of our understanding and stop trying to keep God in the box of our own limitation? How about we just come to the place where we go, you know what? I believe in God and I'm not him. He knows more than me, and I'm just going to move forward until I understand. In this life or the next, it will eventually make sense. As long as I follow Jesus, he'll never lead me astray. I'm not going to proof text just to prove a point. I'm also not going to ignore something that the Holy Spirit may have been trying to get my attention in. Have I been blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Have I been denying Christ's resurrection and crucifixion? Do I have false confidence in a salvation that I say I believe but I don't actually live? See, we don't want you to be conditionally insecure in your walk with Jesus. We also don't want you to just have unconditional false confidence. Well, I, was, I received salvation when I was 7 or 17, and, and I was baptized in water, and, and they laid hands on me, and I had a powerful anointing in an altar. Listen, if you try to live off of yesterday's revelation, then that is as far as you will live. What revelation have you had today? What revelation have you had recently? We don't take things out of context. The second thing, here's what, I'm spending too much time here, but I don't, I've got to make sure you understand the second thing is, we don't believe you can lose your salvation. Some of you were <clears throat> some of you are ready to leave. Hang on, okay, before you get lost. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. That's bad verbiage. It's really bad. It's, it's English language that communicates something that I don't see Scripture communicating. In other words, let me give you this example. Um, my son woke up Thursday morning. He was excited to go to school. Now, listen, he's more excited about not having to go to school tomorrow morning. Don't get me wrong. Ecstatic. Um, but he was excited Thursday morning. He was going to school. And he was going to go to school and tell his teacher and all his friends that his first tooth had been lost. He lost his first tooth. I'm going to tell my teacher, Daddy... I'd tell my teacher, because I lost my first tooth. It's actually, I lost my first tooth. F, not T-H, tooth. I lost it. And I was like, no, son, you didn't lost it. You didn't even lost it. You didn't lose your tooth, man. Wes, I did, daddy. Okay, that's a, that's a Y. Anyway, so we're still working on Ys and Ws and THs and Fs. We actually don't say if, we say with. Not, we don't do it on purpose. Like he says it, and then sometimes we unintentionally copy it because we think it's cute. But he's like, man, if I get to school and somebody says something about my tooth, <laughs> I'm just hoping whiff doesn't translate over into baseball season. That's going to be embarrassing. So it, we're going to try to work on that. But, and I said, Gabriel, you didn't lose your tooth, man. He said, yeah, Daddy, I lost my tooth. Said, no, you didn't lose it. I pulled it out, bro. I know where it is. I, I twisted it, and I pushed it. I don't even think it was ready, but your mama wasn't there. So I just kept on. Like I was pushing and twisting and pulling, and your little eyes started watering. Like we were right there in the front of the church. It was before worship practice on Wednesday night. He's like, Daddy, my tooth is loose. <laughs> I was like, you're what is what? <laughs> my tooth is loose. I want to pull it. And I was like, do it. He's like, no, I want you to do it. Very well. <laughs> Hurry up before you change your mind. I start pulling and it starts bleeding and his eyes are watering. And I'm like, dude, are you good? He's like, so you want me to stop? You going to tell your mama? <laughs> she wasn't there. So I twist and I pull and I pull his tooth out. He didn't lose it. 
We pulled it out. We made a conscious decision to not leave it in there. We decided. We made a choice because we're not robots. We had this option and this opportunity. And now there is a consequence dependent upon the choice of which we made. And the tooth is gone. Same scenario. I have never, not one time in four years, called my wife at the bridge, slammed on my brakes, except for that one time when there was like five wood ducks in the gully, and that surprised me, and I was hungry. So I was like, oh, man, are we still on the other side of this property? So, <laughs> Other than that, I've never called her, gotten halfway to work, and be like, oh, no, I did it again. Hey, Siri, call my wife. Calling Megan. <laughs> I just said, that's funny. <laughs> I can't believe mine didn't do it. <laughs> Call my wife. She answers the phone. What, babe? What? I did it again. You did what? I lost it. It's gone. I can't find it anywhere. What? Your wallet? No. My salvation. I'm missing. I'm missing. I'm telling you, like, somebody swerved at me. A cat, ran, 17 cats ran out. Where are all these cats coming from? It was, I saw this, this happened, and then I cussed, and I just lost it. It's gone. Do you see it anywhere? Is it in my wallet? Is it with my other set of keys? Why do I have two set of keys? I don't know. Why don't I just keep them together? I can't find it anywhere. Never done that. Because we don't believe that we, you can lose your salvation. But we also don't believe, finally, we also don't believe that you can live like Lucifer and end up with Jesus. Nobody believes that. Not biblically. They may believe it, but it's not biblical. Don't believe that you can live like Hades and end up in heaven. We don't believe that. So, we believe... That you have to make a... Jesus died once and for all sin, right? Yes, he did. Does that mean everybody's saved and going to heaven since the day that he gave his life on Calvary? Nope. To those who believe, he is given the right to be called children of God. So we had a responsibility to receive salvation that he purchased. It's his gift, but we have to receive it. He wants us to. He wants to forgive us. He wants to heal us. He wants to love us. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. He wants to be our friend and our father. And now we have a responsibility because we receive salvation to remain in him. And the Bible says that we abide in Christ. And when we abide in Christ, we will bear much fruit. So if you want to know whether you're abiding, then you just look at the fruit that you're developing. In other words, if you want to know where you're going right now, all you have to do is look at how you're living. And some of you are not living according to where you think you're going. And that is scary. And you shouldn't have false security and confidence in a salvation that you are not living. At the same time, some of you wake up scared to death every day. That God's ready to slap you with a lightning bolt like he's Zeus in Greece. He's a heavenly father. He wants you to be bold and secure in him. He also wants you to be humble and reverent before him. It's not a this or this kind of statement. It's a both and kind of faith. The author of Hebrews, after he says all that, he goes, dear friends... I mean, he just whipped the fool out of these people with his words. I mean, you think that was ugly. You ought to have been sitting with him when he was writing this. He just beat the mess out of these people. I'm talking browbeat them over the forehead with a Bible. Gave them a good southern whipping. Now, some of you have been whipped before. Some of you had a southern whipping before. You know what I'm talking about. You thought mama was playing until you said something back. Then you didn't get whipped. You got south whipped. You know what I'm talking about. Some of, you, some of you have had it. Some of you are doing it. That's ugly. I'm telling you, it's hurtful. So he, that's what he was doing. And then all of a sudden he goes, dear friends, even though we're talking this way, like, even though I just kicked you in the mouth with the word of God, we really don't believe it applies to you. In other words, he's prophesying to them what I hope to be prophesying to you. 
We're confident that you are meant for way better things. Things that come not with having fallen away or falling away. Or continuing to be fallen. But things that come in the context of which it's written. Things that come with salvation. Then verse 10 goes in and says, he's not ever going to forget how hard you worked. In other words, your works don't produce salvation, but your salvation is going to produce your works. That was for somebody. I'm trying to help you today. Your works do not produce your salvation, but your salvation will produce your works. And God is saying what the author of Corinthians was saying, that you can be immovable, steadfast, always abounding in the work because your labor in the Lord will not be in vain. As long as you never get to a place where you become so holy that you think you're more holy than somebody else that needs the same redemption you do. As long as you never get to a place where you become satisfied with being just as obedient as the other people that aren't as being obedient, being as obedient as you. As long as you continue to move forward, he will never forget. In the context of which he is writing this passage, he will never forget how hard you worked. Verse 12, then you will not become spiritually dull. In other words, when you speak, Everybody won't huff and roll their eyes because you don't have any influence because you're not really operating in your anointing. You're operating in your opinion. And your opinion has never really saved anybody, but you're willing to share your opinion. You're not nearly as willing to operate in your anointing to really do everything that this word says. You're just satisfied with doing more than what other people. I'm talking to the church this morning. You're just satisfied with doing more than what other people are doing. And you're willing to still call less than God's best holy. But Jesus still is the one by which is the standard is set. And comparing yourself to anything other than him is just as fallen as you were before you ever met him so you don't get to be dull and uninfluential and brush people off because they're nuts come on just ignore everybody because they've lost their minds you have to be careful you have to be sharp Because you say you believe in this. And the last time I checked, this same author said that this word is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. In other words, it doesn't just pierce the people that you give it to. It's piercing you at the same time. You're still growing and you're still learning. And so your spirituality is not dull and apathetic, inconsistent and indifferent, depending upon the atmosphere, the people in it, or what you hear or what is being said and done around you. It is instead, dear friends, he says. He's not saying it sarcastically even. He's saying, look, this is not the way to live. This is not why Jesus came. Instead, this is the will of God. This is the way. Instead, follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. Not or, and. So am I saved by grace through faith? Not of works, lest any man should boast? Or is faith without works dead? Yes! To both of those. Because God's understanding does not fit within your limitation to understand. Or mine. And I don't have it all figured out. Like, I'm still fleshing this thing out and trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. Make sure I don't mess you up. (laughs) Instead, follow him with faith and endurance. Then, verse 16, I'm sorry, 13. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. 
Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name. God took an oath in his own name. Remember that. We'll come right back to it. Verse 16 says, Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. I want you to understand that God took an oath. He didn't just give a promise. He took an oath on his own name. Now, if you take an oath on anybody else's name, you are eternally bound by that oath that you made. But God made a promise, and the promise should have been enough, but he knew that it wasn't going to be for Abraham or the people later. And the same promise that God made to Abraham, that he would bless us and expand our territory, and that we inherited the land, and that we would multiply in descendants, spiritually and physically, the thing that God told Abraham in a promise still applies to us today. Why? How do you know that? Because, well, one, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But two, he literally had someone in the New Testament say that we are not just joint heirs with Jesus, but joint heirs to the promise of Abraham. So what God has said before, he is still saying today. Why? Because he took an oath on his name and he is bound by his word. So in other words, when he took an oath to Jehovah Jireh, he's still our provider. When he took an oath to Jehovah Rapha, he's still our healer. When he took an oath to Jehovah Shalom, he is still our peace. When he took an oath to Jehovah Nisi, he is still the Lord, our banner in which we wave in the midst of the battle because he is our victory. He took an oath by his name and he is bound to his promise. Verse 18, so God, who has given both his promise and his oath. This is so good, by the way. Not what I'm saying, what he's already said. God, who is bound, given both his oath and his promise. These two things are unchangeable. Now, before I read any further, I I need you to wake yourself up because we're almost done. In preaching minutes, anyways. On this message, what I'm, I have added very little to this message. Um, we met on Tuesday, and we began to brainstorm and add. I, I almost always know the direction God wants us to go, but some of the specifics, there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. And so I bring our staff in and And some of our young people, because young people are more creative than you because they're not scared. (laughs) Because they don't know they should be. (laughs) So we come together and we wrote this message on Tuesday. It's done. This sermon right here, the one I'm preaching right now. I had no idea that I would wake up on Thursday and need to call my friend. And see what his governor and what his superintendent were doing about his very large gathering of people in the state of Colorado. Had no clue. I didn't know on Monday when I was putting this together and writing this sermon that I would need to be saying this on Sunday. I didn't know. But I came. Under the unction of the Holy Spirit that loves you so much that he uses the foolish of this world to confound the wise. He loves you so much that he wrote a message on Monday that you would need to hear on Sunday. These things are unchangeable. No matter what you hear, no matter what's going on, no matter how you feel, no matter what you sense, no matter what everyone else is doing, these things, his oath and his promise are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to do this one specific thing. He cannot break his word. He bound himself to it. 
It would be like me trying to disconnect myself from my heart. You can't do it. God can't take his heart out. This is his love letter to his people. This is the way that we connect to him in relationship and in lifestyle. This is his heart. He cannot remove his heart and change his mind about his heart. It's there. He says it's unchangeable. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge. So let me ask you. Out of this sermon God wrote on Monday. Before we knew anything. When you heard on Thursday. Friday. When you saw on your news feed. Your timeline. Your messenger. Your text. Your TV. When you get angry. Where do you go? When you get irritated, where do you go? When you get anxious, fearful, worried. I woke up Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. I'm, I'm complete transparency here because I'm just human. I'm just I'm trying to follow him, make sure I don't mess you up. I woke up every morning. I felt the same way I remember feeling whenever we broke up in college. I felt like something was gone. And I don't think it was the fear. I think it was the weight of the concern and the decisions that were being made. And the decisions that would need to be made. The decisions that still need to be made. When a decision needs to be made in a moment, when you desire something that you know you shouldn't, when you don't want to do something that you know you should, where do you go? Who do you turn to? Who do you find refuge in? The one that looked into your Thursday when you were still in Monday? The one that looked into your Sunday when you started worrying on Thursday. The one who sees your tomorrow despite what's going on today. Move forward in understanding. And he reveals, oh, that's my bad. I get it. I see. I understand. Can if you take refuge in him you can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us this hope is a strong and healthy now listen this is a this is a cajun anchor i didn't make it i didn't buy it i borrowed it this is cajunuity right here this cajun meets ingenuity just for anybody that needed those two things put together for them. It's pretty stout. It's heavier than I make it look. If I let Pastor Weston hold it, it'd look real heavy. <laughs> the third service only. You're welcome. You're welcome. We were looking for an anchor. We actually found one in a shipyard in Abbeville. And uh, somebody went over there with a trailer to pick it up. They took a forklift over to that anchor that they were going to pick up, put the fork underneath that anchor, and the anchor picked up the forklift. The forklift came up off the ground. Oh, that anchor weighed way more than that double axle trailer was about to haul back to Eunice. In fact, if we had tried to put that anchor on that trailer, not only would we have not gotten that anchor back, we wouldn't have gotten that trailer back. Well over a thousand pounds. Thought it was around four. We were surprised. We were surprised at the strength of the anchor when we tried to move it. We were surprised. It caught us off guard. Weren't ready for it. So what we did is we got this little anchor that we could handle. 
I like this one. It's not telling me where I can throw it. It's not throwing me. I can handle it. But God says, the hope that I have, the kind that I'm writing about, it's strong and it's trustworthy. And it's an anchor for your emotions. It's an anchor for your concerns. It's an anchor for your desires. It's an anchor for your doubts. It's an anchor for your sorrows. It's an anchor for your angst. It's an anchor for your anger. It's an anchor for your irritation. It is an anchor for anything that Psalm 42 describes in emotion and soul. But it doesn't just sit there. It does something. The Bible says this is not an anchor. It's unlike any other anchor. Jesus is not an anchor that says, okay, you believe in me. Now stay right there so that you don't do anything else stupid that I have to come back and clean up. You stay right there. You close your eyes so you don't see anything that you're not supposed to see. And you put your hands underneath your hips and you sit right there so that you stop doing dumb stuff. I'll be back. Coming back in 2,100 years. You stay right there. Don't move. He's not doing that. He's an anchor. The Bible says that leads into and through the curtain of God's inner sanctuary. In other words, he's the anchor that leads into the place of relationship that God wants to have. He's the anchor that leads into the place of authenticity that God wants to fellowship with you. He is the anchor that the Bible says in verse 20, Jesus has already gone in for us. In other words, when you don't know what's going on and coming up on Thursday, God is there with you on Monday preparing a way where there may seem to be no way. When you're struggling on Sunday, he's already in your Monday. When you wake up in angst on Monday, he's already in your Tuesday. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same in eternity that he wants to be for you right now on earth but you've got to move out of the former and into the new quick notes I just got three takeaways you're taking it home this is what we're sending you out with move forward move forward Move forward from the foundations and the simple things in Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Move, move forward from the things that we've already been talking about, the things that you've already been hearing, the things you keep going back to. Move forward and leave the former things. He's saying, Abram, I have a promise on the other side. If you'll get out of the tent and move forward, I want to make you Abraham. He's saying, Jacob, I want to make you Israel. He's saying, Simon, I want to call you the rock upon which I can build a church. I want to call you Petros. I want to call you forward. I want you to be not just a fisherman, but a fisher of men. Saul, I want to call you Paul. I don't want to just watch you as you were. I want to make you as I see that you could be. I want you to follow me so that I can increase your understanding and ultimately multiply your anointing. I want to take a prostitute and turn her into a prophetess. I want to take a murderer and turn him into a missionary. I want to take a failure and call him forgiven. I want to take somebody that's lost and make them found. I want to take somebody that's broken and cause them to be built up in Jesus. I want to take somebody that's hurting and call them healed. I want you to move forward in me. Be who I am and nothing less. You can't stay there. Because I'm not just an anchor that holds. I'm an anchor that leads. So number two, hold on to the hope. He's going to take you where he created you to go. As long as you hold on. As long as you follow. I have a, a great friend, pastor. A man I respect. I loved him. I hadn't talked to him in a while. It's not because I'm disappointed in him or discouraged with him I actually just I I felt bad for him my heart broke for him actually because he was in his 50s and and he had started a church in his 20s with just a few people in his living room 
And then it was an Assembly of God church with over 1,500s, one of the biggest Assembly of God churches in the state of Arkansas. But he didn't have good boundaries. And he had very little accountability. And he began to receive emotional gratification from a young lady that essentially idolized him in a way that his wife hadn't in years. So she became impressed with him in a way that his wife had possibly been unimpressed or just possibly even unappreciated him. And he began to receive that emotional gratification from this young woman who was younger than his daughter. And that turned into something that it shouldn't have turned into. And before we scoff at this man, be careful lest you condemn yourself. Because all of a sudden, what was innocent began to become evil. And he found himself engaged in more than just an emotional affair with this young lady. And he got down the road as he was drifting away and the anchor moved. And he stopped. And he said to this young woman, I can't have you and God's blessing. The author of Hebrews is saying, you can't have the anchor without the anointing and continue in disobedience. If they fall away and they just keep going, they commit the unpardonable sin and in their heart completely deny Jesus all the way into eternity, the fullness of Scripture. That man said, I can't have you and the promise with the oath because I have removed myself from the promise. He said, he's saying, I can't have you and this addiction. I can't have you and this affair. I I can't have you, God's blessing and God's will with this pornography. I can't have what God has for me and continue in these things that I'm not created to be. I can't have both. And the anchor pulled. And it led him over some restoration, over some loss, over some consequence. But it led him back. Led him back. He's living for Jesus. He went through the restoration process. He's leading a church. That church is doing great things in the community. It's not the same church, but God is using him. Because if God can redeem David, you're going to be okay. Final point. Let the anchor lead. Let the anchor lead. You're not anchored down, friend. You're anchored up. See, the anchor's on top of the hill. So I lift my eyes unto the hill. Because that's where my anchor is. But the anchor's not just sitting there and hope I make it. Uh Uh-uh. See, you think you're doing all the work, and the anchor's going. Just pulling you right up. Then all of a sudden you get to the top and Jesus is standing there because he's already been in your Monday. He's already been in your next month. He's already been in your next year. He He already resides in the place that you're headed. He's already there. Let the anchor Lead because he's anchoring you up in him today and tomorrow so we can be honorable and anointed at the same time because we're not bound by anything but him. Would you bow your head, close your eyes with me today? Father, I thank you. For your people, I thank you for your word. I pray that it does not return unto you void. I pray that we don't allow it to return unto you void. 
God, that even when we go down the road the wrong way, the anchor never moves. So, God, I pray that this would be an anchor moment for some people in this sanctuary right now. Before we get our things, before we go anywhere, before we even worry about where we're going. If you, Holy Spirit, are trying to get our attention right now. I pray that we wouldn't just turn away from the things that we're not supposed to be doing. But, God, that we would turn to you. Right now. God, if there's anybody in here that needs to be saved, that needs to be forgiven, that need to give you their life. God, if there's anybody listening online because you're not bound by physical space, you created it all. So God, right now I pray that we would offer our lives as a living sacrifice to you. That we would receive your salvation and your forgiveness. Lord, right now for any follower of Jesus in the room that, that may be drifting, that may be right on the line, right on the edge, that may be in the midst of that affair, that addiction, that may be struggling with that confession. God, I thank you that you're the anchor that holds. God, for every person in this room and every person listening, may we open up our lives and our hearts to you right now and receive from you what only you can do. Church, I want to invite you, whether for the first time or the first time in a long time, whether in the building or watching online, God, I pray that you would help us to be open and honest. If you need to receive salvation today, I want you to lift your hand. You can just lift one. It's not for me, it's for you. It's an act of obedience between you and Jesus. You're just saying, Lord, I know you already knew, but I'm acknowledging that I know. I need you. I need you. Forgive me. I need you. Save me. I need you, Lord. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I need you, God. Church, would you pray this prayer out loud with me and those who have lifted their hands, those who aren't quite confident enough to lift their hands, but know that you're here for them right now. Come on, church, let's pray this prayer together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen short, where I didn't listen. I wasn't obedient. Help me to honor you and to be obedient, take my life, make it yours. I believe you gave your life so I could live. I could be in you and like you. May I follow you with all of my heart from this day forward. May I be a light in the darkness and an example of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.